Our scripture reading this afternoon will be taken from Psalms 77, verse 1 and 2. Verse 1 begins, I cried out to the Lord with my voice, to God with my voice, and He gave ear to me. In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. My hand was stretched out in the night without ceasing. My soul refused to be comforted. Good evening. It is good to be together once again this Lord's Day. I invite you to be taking out your Bibles. We're going to be studying from the Word of God. We're going to be considering the subject of prayer. And in the book of 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul, a passage I'm sure we can all easily quote if we are familiar with it. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17, Paul says that we need to pray without ceasing. Jesus, in Luke the 18th chapter, He gives a series of teachings there in Luke chapter 18 about the importance of prayer, the significance of praying at all times. In Luke chapter 18 and in verse 1, it says, Now He was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. Prayer is perhaps one of the most challenging things in the life of a Christian. It is certainly a discipline that we have to be committed to. And perhaps at the beginning of a year, maybe you have said as a spiritual New Year's resolution or something to pray more. I know that has been something I have done from time to time in the past, and maybe it is that you are focused on that this year. I think we understand that we need to pray without ceasing. And conceptually, we might understand what Jesus is saying, that we need to pray at all times, that there's never a bad time to spend with God in prayer. But sometimes we go through those lulls in our life where we're not praying like we ought to, where we don't pray and talk to the Lord and spend time with Him. We have those lulls that we go through. Maybe we're like Asaph in Psalm 77, in which the Psalms of Asaph usually deal with this struggle that we oftentimes go through in life. The struggle of seeing injustice or wickedness abound in life. Maybe we see our own shortcomings and failures. And as we read in Psalm 77, and in verses 1 and 2, my voice rises to God and I will cry aloud. My voice rises to God and He will hear me. In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. In the night my hand was stretched out without weariness. My soul refused to be comforted. Sometimes we might find ourselves like Asaph where we know I need to be praying more. And yet, the only time that we seem to pray is in the day of trouble. When things get hard. When life hits us. When things are very difficult and things might not be going our way. And we almost feel another sense of guilt, don't we? 
for praying at that point. It's like, I know I should have been praying all along, but now things are really tough, things are really bad, and now I desperately need God. And will He even hear me? We've probably all been there at some point, haven't we? Will God actually hear my prayer? We've all been through those moments where we go days or weeks without petitioning the throne of God. But we do need to take the prayer like Asaph. Pray in the day of trouble. Even if we are thinking to ourselves, this is my last resort. That prayer... It hasn't been the first thing I have been committed to. But I'm certainly going to be praying now. I'm going to get on my hands and knees and I'm going to spend time with the Lord in prayer. Sometimes that prayer of last resort is the prayer that is needed the most. And this evening, I want us to think about praying in the day of trouble. Praying at the eleventh hour, if you will. And I want to show you this evening some examples in Scripture of three men who prayed, who spent time with God in prayer. Maybe at the last bit of their life. Who had to learn some hard lessons. And how we can be resolved to be better. Because of prayer. And the first example that I want us to think about is Hezekiah. In the Old Testament, in King Hezekiah, as we read about him in the book of 2 Kings. In 2 Kings chapter 18, we have, this has been the occasion when Assyria has grown to great power. In 2 Kings chapter 18, we or in chapter 17 rather, Assyria had taken over the ten northern tribes of Israel. King Hezekiah is ruling in the southern two tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And here he is. He is a ruler who sees his neighbors and his brothers to the north Now they have been wiped out by the Assyrians. And he is thankful that his kingdom has survived. And he has made certain alliances and certain plans with other nations to offer some protection for him. And Assyria comes into Judah actually at this time, but they do not take all of Judah. They only take some of the cities, the fortified cities of Judah. In 2 Kings chapter 18 and in verses 15 and 16, we read that Hezekiah gave him, that is the king of Assyria, gave him all the silver which was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah cut off the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorpost which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. Here he is. Things 
weren't as bleak as they were for the north. But he's trying to do everything within his own power to prevent damage to his kingdom. He's trying to prevent the Assyrians from coming in. And so let's just pay tribute. Here's a plan that I can concoct. And I can come up with this and I'm just going to pay tribute. I'm going to pay off the king of Assyria and tell him to go the other way. king of Assyria does it. But what is disappointing here is that Hezekiah does not go to God to seek God's understanding or to seek God's will on the matter. Hezekiah acted based on his own plan, gave sacrifice all the silver in the temple and the gold from the pillars of the temple doors. He gave what belonged to God. Hezekiah should have first turned to God in faith and in confidence in the Lord. But he acted without consulting God. How often do we do the same? When things grow difficult in life, whether it be problems at work, whenever there are things that grow difficult in our families, in our relationships with our children or with our spouse or our own goals. How many times do we think, I have this figured out. I have a plan. And this is exactly how it's going to go down. I mean, that's what Hezekiah did. He thought, I have a plan. It's going to help me avoid Assyria. I'm going to pay him off. I'm going to pay off the king. We won't have to deal with them and they can be out of here. Yeah, if we have to give up some of our cities, so be it. But it's better than being destroyed. And oftentimes when we don't give... We do not give attention to prayer. When we are busy making our own plans, when we think we have life all figured out, and we have no concern about asking God what we ought to do, we think, I can do this and take care of it all on my own. Hezekiah eventually would learn in Second Kings chapter nineteen, in Second Kings chapter nineteen, in the very next chapter after Sennacherib began to attack God, Hezekiah begins to see what reality is like. Sennacherib, king of Assyria, is defying God and has no interest in serving the Lord. So Hezekiah takes the letter from the hand of the messengers, it says, and he read it in verse 14, and he went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. Then in verse 15 of 2 Kings 19, Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, who are enthroned above the cherubim, You are the God, You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and listen to the words of Sennacherib, 
which He has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have devastated the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. They So they have destroyed them. Now, O Lord our God, I pray, deliver us from the hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that You alone, O Lord, are God. It's an excellent prayer, isn't it? But I would suggest to you that Hezekiah should have prayed that a chapter earlier. But thankfully he does come to his senses. He comes to his realization and at least he does pray the prayer. And God answers the prayer. He hears Hezekiah even though it might have been later than what it should have been, even though it might have been a prayer of what I would call last resort, God still heard the prayer. And 185,000 Syrians were dead the next day. Because God was protecting Judah. In chapter 20 of 2 Kings, it says in 2 Kings chapter 20 and in verse 1, In those days Hezekiah became mortally ill. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. And thankfully you begin to see the change in Hezekiah's thinking here. It says in verse 2, Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech you, how I have walked before you in truth and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And before Isaiah could even leave the court of the palace, It says in verse 5, Return and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, thus says the Lord, the God of your father David, I have heard your prayer. You see the difference, don't you? That as soon as Hezekiah heard about his condition and his health and his life being at stake, he prayed, he didn't delay, he prayed immediately. You see the contrast. And I would suggest to you when things get hard, when things get difficult personally and privately in our own families or in our uh, businesses, in life, we need to be like Hezekiah here. We need to pray. And God answered that prayer and added 15 years to his life and delivered him from that illness. Perhaps Hezekiah is one of the best examples we have in the Old Testament of a man who matured with time, who learned from his mistakes and learned from some of his failures. He might have acted out of presumption and thinking, I have this all figured out. And then when he heard that his life was going to be cut short, oh man, I better get this thing right and I better talk to God right now. 
And we can easily get distracted in life. We can easily grow to be presumptuous. We think we have it all figured out. We think, man, life is going to go on exactly how it always is. Life is always going to go according to plan. Mortality is oftentimes an eye-opening experience. We learn just how fragile life really is. And in those moments, we need to pray to God. In the book of James, in James chapter 4, James talks about this very idea of the brevity of life and how quickly it goes. In James chapter 4, and in verse 13, he talks about when we're making plans, doesn't he? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. And I think the attitude here that James is really trying to convey to us is that this guy thinks he has it all figured out, doesn't he? He's saying, well, this is going to be my plan. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go do this. And I'm going to make a profit. And nothing wrong with any of that. There's nothing wrong with making certain plans unless you don't consider the Lord. If you don't count God into your life, if you don't add God into the plan, if you don't add God into the equation in the prayer into your life. He says in verse 15, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. When we think we have it all figured out, when we think we have plans, and that life is always just going to go according to our plan. We are boasting. That's the pride of life that is coming out in our actions. We need to pray to God even when things do not work out the way that we expected. Because Certainly life is not going to always go according to plan. Peter reminds us in 1 Peter chapter 3, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and in verse 12, for the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and He hears and His ears attend to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. We may fail to consider God as we ought to into our plans. But once we hit that brick wall when life comes at us and whenever we realize, boy, we have messed up, don't fall for the devil's lie that it's too late to pray. Don't fall for that lie. Get on your hands and knees and pray before God Almighty. 
It might be a last resort, but it will be a prayer worth uttering. A second man that we see is Manasseh. In the book of 2 Chronicles, in chapter 33, we are introduced to Manasseh and just how evil and how wicked he was. Manasseh was the son of Hezekiah. And he led Judah to its lowest point in their history up to this time. In 2 Chronicles chapter 33, and in verse 1 it says, Manasseh was twelve years old when he became king, and he reigned fifty-five years in Jerusalem. He did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord dispossessed before the sons of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down. He also erected altars for the Baals and made an ashram and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. He built altars in the house of the Lord of which the Lord had said, My name shall be in Jerusalem forever. For he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He made his sons pass through the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. And he practiced witchcraft, used divination, practiced sorcery, and dealt with mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Sounds like a great guy, doesn't he? He says in verse 7, Then he put the carved image of the idol which he had made in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon his son, In this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen from all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever, and I will not again remove the foot of Israel from the land which I have appointed for your fathers, if only they will observe to do all that I have commanded them according to all the law, the statutes, and the ordinances given through Moses. You have this little reminder here, don't you? And as long as you're faithful, God is going to bless you in the land. But what is also being revealed here is how far removed Judah has become because of Manasseh. It says in verse 9, Thus Manasseh misled Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the sons of Israel. Manasseh was evil. He was a wicked, wicked man. And because of that, God was going to punish him. You continue on in verse 10, The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. Takes a lot of pride, doesn't it? To ignore God if He's trying to talk to you. Takes a lot of pride and arrogance to ignore Him. Therefore the Lord brought the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria against them, and they captured Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze chains, and took him to Babylon. When he was in distress, his day of trouble came, didn't it? When he was in distress, he entreated the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. 
When he prayed to him, he was moved by his entreaty and heard his supplication and brought him again to Jerusalem to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. What a wicked, evil man Manasseh was. And I only wish we had the words to that prayer. Because he had some humbling that he had to do. He had to say some things that moved the Lord. In Proverbs chapter 16 and in verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Manasseh, he had to suffer the consequences of his sin. But he turned to God before it was too late. And he repented. He came back to his senses. He came back to God. And whenever he came back to his kingdom, to Jerusalem, it says in verse 15, he also removed the foreign gods and the idol from the house of the Lord, as well as all the altars which he had built on the mountain of the house of the Lord and in Jerusalem. And he threw them outside the city. He set up the altar of the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it. And he offered Judah, and he ordered Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. He said, I'm going to try to do undo everything I had done. What a mess he had made, though, beforehand. But here is a man who humbled himself and repented before it was too late, before his life was taken. And God showed mercy to him. God showed mercy to him. In the book of Acts, we are very familiar with the story of Simon the sorcerer, I'm sure. After he tried to purchase the power of God with money, in Acts chapter 8 and in verses 22 through 24, Peter told him, Your heart is not right before God, therefore repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that if possible the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. In the book of 1 John, in 1 John chapter 1, the Apostle John, he encourages us when we sin, when we stumble, when we turn away from God's law, and when we turn to darkness, we need to pray and confess and repent. In 1 John chapter 1 and in verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even when we make such a huge mess like Manasseh did, if we will humble ourselves and pray and repent before life catches up to us, before it's too late, God is merciful. God wants to forgive. 
But sometimes the consequences to our decisions, especially if they span over a great number of years, those consequences can be really hard. Look at the life of Manasseh. He reigned in Jerusalem for 55 years. And we're not told the timeline in 2 Chronicles chapter 33 of whenever he was disposed from Jerusalem. We're not told when he came back. And certainly you see the fruit of repentance that he was trying to set some things right. You can see that. The sad thing is, is that he had sown the seed of unfaithfulness and wickedness. And even whenever he had repented and after he was coming back to the Lord, after he was trying to tear down all the altars, notice what it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 33. After he, in verse 16, it says that he set up the altar of the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings and thank offerings on it. He offered, he ordered Judah to serve the Lord God of Israel. Nevertheless, the people still sacrificed in the high places, although only to the Lord their God. What they began to do was mix their idolatry with a little bit of truth, didn't they? While Manasseh was trying his best to undo all the things that he had done, it might have been a little too, too much for him to accomplish with what time he had left. Because it says in verse 20 that Manasseh slept with his fathers and they buried him in his own house, and Ammon, his son, became king in his place. And Ammon, it says, in verse 22, he did evil in the sight of the Lord as Manasseh his father had done. And Ammon sacrificed to all the carved images which his father Manasseh had made, and he served them. Moreover, he did not humble himself before the Lord as his father Manasseh had done, but Ammon multiplied guilt. Do you see that? He multiplied the guilt. (laughs) Ammon did not have the heart of his father. Thankfully, while Manasseh had ruled for many years unfaithfully and promoting wickedness and sin, he did humble himself and he came back to the Lord but it might have been too late for him to do anything to really help his son. And sometimes that's the hard lesson that we have to learn in life, isn't it? That even whenever we have messed up, even when we have sinned, sometimes the consequences to our sin, even in our repentance, it's too much to repair everything that we had done that was wrong and wicked. We can try our best. We can pray to God. God can hear us. 
God can restore us. God can forgive us. But the consequences to all the wickedness, it might be too much sometimes. A third example is Nehemiah. Nehemiah, he knew how to pray to God. I love Nehemiah's prayer in Nehemiah chapter 1. And you might be surprised to find Nehemiah on this list. You had Hezekiah who trusted in his own plans and his own priorities and his own thinking. You have Manasseh who was a very wicked and evil king. Then you have Nehemiah who we recognize as a good godly leader among Israel. But what is so important to understand in the life and the story of Nehemiah is where he began. Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 4 begins the prayer which we'll read in a moment. But at the end of chapter 1, after Nehemiah prays, there's a statement that's made that Nehemiah makes. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. And this was before he goes back to Jerusalem to help rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Here we are first introduced to Nehemiah. And he's not serving God, the king of Israel. He is serving a pagan king. And he repents of that. He prays for forgiveness. As he has heard and he has asked about the remnant of the Jews who are back in Jerusalem and how the repairs are going, he hears that the gates are still down and they're still burned. And then in verse 4, when, Now when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I beseech you, O uh, oh Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love Him and keep His commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and let your ear be open. You know, let your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant which I am praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants confessing the sins of the sons of Israel which we have sinned against you. I and my Father's house have sinned. Notice the pronouns. He doesn't exclude himself here. In fact, he includes him and his father's house. He says in verse 7, We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments or the statutes nor the ordinances which you commanded your, Mo your servant Moses. Remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there 
and will bring them to the place where I have chosen to cause my name to dwell. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. We're going to come back to that verse here in a moment, verse 10. But he says in verse 11, O Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. Read that in context of this prayer. Nehemiah is realizing I'm in the wrong place. I'm serving the wrong king. He says in verse 10 in this prayer that the people who, have, who God is bringing back to Jerusalem, what does he say about them? Verse 10, they are your servants. Where is Nehemiah? He's in the palace of the king of Persia. He's not in Jerusalem. He's not where he needs to be. His priorities are not what they ought to have been at this point. But Nehemiah, he prays. And he realizes where he needs to go. He realizes what he needs to do. And so he asks for the king to allow him to go to Jerusalem to be instrumental in rebuilding the walls of the city. And it says at the end of chapter 2 and verse 20, So I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven will give us success. Therefore we His servants will arise and build, but you have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. He's saying, Now I am a servant of God. I am here to arise and build the walls of Jerusalem. Here's a man who prayed. I love his prayer. I love his humility. And I love how he comes to the realization that I've been serving the wrong person. I've been serving the wrong king. My priorities are not what they have ought to have been. Now it's time to change. And he got up and he went. And you can read the rest of Nehemiah and how he worked to achieve the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. And what I think we learn from Nehemiah is this really important principle about prayer. Is that prayer prepares us for action. In the book of Acts, if you will turn with me to Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John had been arrested. And after some time they were released... The Sanhedrin had nothing on them to hold them any longer. And once Peter and John joined back up with the rest of the apostles, they prayed to God. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 24, it says, And when they heard this, 
They lifted their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is You who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, Your servant said, and he began the quote from Psalm 2. And he goes on in verse 27, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence. While you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. While the council had told Peter and John, quit preaching in the name of Jesus, the apostles, they come together and they pray for strength, confidence, and boldness. And what happens? They start preaching. Don't they? They start speaking the Word of God. Let me ask you this question. What good would it have been for them to pray those words in that prayer and then they just say, well, we're going to go back home. We're not going to do anything about it. God, give us boldness. Give us strength. Give us help to proclaim Your name. But then we're going to go home and not do anything about it. Would that have been a prayer that was answered? Mm -mm. Chapter 6. Book of Acts. And there was a little bit of a scuffle, if you will. There was a little bit of a problem that came up, was brought to the apostles' attention. The apostles say, well, you guys need to figure it out. <laughs> because in verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. You see the order there? that before we're going to devote ourselves just completely to preaching, what, does, what do they say? We're going to pray about it first. Because there's this principle, prayer emboldens us. Prayer prepares us to do something. There is a time that we need to stop praying. How many times have you heard a preacher say that? <laughs> there's a time to stop praying. And there's a time to start working. <clears throat> Prayer is essential. Don't misunderstand me. Prayer is essential. But there's a time to quit praying and get busy. That's what we learned from Nehemiah. That we might have all our priorities 
out of place and out of sync. We might think we have all our life ordered in just the right way, and okay, I'll pray. But if I'm not busy, if I'm not working, if I'm not serving, those prayers aren't getting any higher than the ceiling. We learn from all three of these examples of how we need to pray in difficult times. And while prayer should ideally never be our last resort, we need to always be praying, pray without ceasing. We can have confidence that if our last resort is to pray to God, and that just might be the new beginning that we desperately need. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song of encouragement to encourage anyone that might have need to make changes in their life and come to the Lord. It might be that you're like Manasseh and you think back upon your life and the things that you've done which are wrong and that you need to humble yourself before God. You need to come back to the Lord. Maybe you've become a child of God. Maybe you haven't. Maybe your life is steeped in sin. We want you to come back to God. Manasseh was one who was willing to humble himself. But in Acts chapter 26, we read about Agrippa who told Paul those sad words, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. He did not have the humility to change his life and to repent and come before God in prayer, asking God to forgive him seeking to be restored before God. Tonight, will you be like a Manasseh who humbles himself to make some changes in their life? Or are you going to be like Agrippa who remains hardened in their sin? That choice is for you to make tonight. We hope that you will make the right one. If we can help you in some way, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?